Uh, welcome to the Mahogany Tower, where we talk about science, we talk about faith, and we talk about culture. Um, I know it's been a minute. Uh, um, school has been a lot. Um, so I've been hanging on. Um, but God's been faithful. I'm super grateful for what he's been doing in that area of my life. Um, but I'm also super grateful that I have an opportunity to connect with you guys again, because I do really enjoy uh, what we do here at the Mahogany Tower. Um, you know, for today, we're going to be talking about some uh, in-house issues. Um, you know, I don't say this frequently, uh, but today I'm actually going to be talking almost exclusively to uh, black people. And I know I don't say that frequently because uh, in general with the Mahogany Tower, I write about things and I kind of talk about things that are important to me or just kind of speak to my heart, things that I find intriguing, things that I find interesting, things that I think other people will find exciting or will appreciate engaging with, um, or things that really kind of resonate and I just feel like need to be shared or discussed. And so based on some of the subject matter that I engage with, I have quite a bit of content that's mostly for white listeners, white audiences, as I try and aid them in kind of thinking through matters of inequality, particularly racial inequality, but I also have a lot of subject matter for people of color, certainly for people who identify with any number of marginalizing identities based on their sexual orientation or their class or, you know, their racial or ethnic background, their immigration status, so on and so forth. Um, certainly have a lot of content for uh, religious listeners as well, predominantly a Christian audience. Um, but today... I'm going to be speaking almost exclusively to uh, black listeners. And I say that because anytime you engage in a conversation, it is important on some level to uh, be explicit about who it is that you're engaging with or connecting with. Now, if you're not black, and I'm sure I have, I know that I have actually lots and lots of non-black listeners. Certainly you guys are free to listen in, but I do just want to be explicit in saying um, I am going to be speaking mostly to my black listeners today. Um, you know, there's much plight that comes with being black in America. I don't have to explain that to you. There are microaggressions, there's discrimination, there's profiling, there's prejudice, um, negative judgments about you for no other reason than simply existing and being who you are. It's not a cakewalk. But perhaps one of the biggest outcomes of the legacy of slavery in the United States is the economic deprivation of the black community. While I'm not so naive as to suggest on any level, 190 years of unpaid labor in addition to 90 years of institutionalized discrimination in the form of Jim Crow fully explains why most black families over the course of the last 60 years make consistently less than their white counterparts. We would be naive to say there isn't any relationship and it's certainly an important one from that though two major considerations are worth noting um and they're related to our topic the first is concerning religiosity in general across the social sciences so this is psychologists sociologists even economists have noted the relationship between income and religiosity with higher income people being less religious whether it be uh, Christianity or otherwise. Now, there's debate on that, and certainly I'm not suggesting that one causes the other or one even precedes the other. I'm simply drawing attention to the fact that these two variables, religiosity and income, are associated with each other, and there is evidence of that. 
But I think even beyond the scope of science, I don't think you need a PhD to kind of be able to make that potential connection. I think most people can see some of the intuition here, right? Higher income people have more demanding jobs and less discretionary time. They're also likely to be more individualistic than their low income counterparts, have an inflated sense of importance, and they're more likely to feel self-reliant. They may feel that they can solve their own problems. The opposite is likely to be true for lower income people, right? We also know about the role religion played in slavery, so I'll just mention that as an important aside for now. Um, so since black Americans tend to be lower income, they also tend to be more religious than Americans of some other racial or ethnic groups, white people, for instance, white Americans specifically. Um, but in case you're interested in that, there's basically some conversation about the decline of religiosity in America, particularly among people who are white, for some of the reasons that I've uh, mentioned already and certainly many, many, many more. But again, I don't think this idea of, you know, black Americans being more religious than other Americans is out of the ordinary per se. I think, you know, a lot of you guys can probably make that connection, too. The second major consideration here, though, is the role of class or socioeconomic status on masculinity. And as a spoiler, I'll be talking quite a bit about masculinity today, although I realize the topic is obviously of great relevance to both men and women. But, you know, again, you want to create a little bit of scope when you're um, setting out to uh, produce something. To be clear, while gender is viewed as biological and manifesting in the form of certain physiological properties, masculinity and femininity is entirely culturally constructed. That is, culture determines what is and is not masculine. And admittedly, we know this is subject to some level of change over time, even in spite of uh, fairly rigid gender roles. Maybe an example will um, help to draw this home. Now, people usually give me the side eye when I say this, but high-heeled shoes were originally intended for men, side eye or not. So circa 15th century Eastern Europe, men wore high heels to enhance their physical stature and appear more formidable. And I think prior to that, it was worn for centuries by men across Western Asia. You know, after all, a tall man is probably more intimidating than a shorter one. And if you want, you know, some insights for that, you can read some of the research in social psychology and evolutionary psychology as well. Now, we also know based on research that we make important inferences about people based on physical properties, including their height. So it should be no surprise that taller people tend to have higher income, receive more promotions, and be perceived as leaders at work um, compared to their shorter counterparts. Now, evolutionary psychology, too, argues more of the same. Tall men are viewed as intimidating and formidable and possessing good genes and deserving of respect. Again, I'm not making a causal argument here, simply pointing out that height is associated with particular outcomes. And much of that is influenced based on how people perceive taller versus shorter men. In hindsight, it makes perfect sense for men to wear high heels. It wasn't until the 1600s or so that women began wearing high heels, at least 
in Europe. I'm not really sure what the timeline is for Western Asia. I haven't really looked into that. Um, but it was around the 1600s where women began wearing high heels. And again, that's in Europe. Today, at least by Western standards, high heels are a universal symbol of femininity, not masculinity. But if this were Eastern Europe in the 1400s, high heels would be considered an iconic signal of manliness, right? So I think this underscores my point. Masculinity is culturally constructed, as is femininity. Now, in the case of poor people, black people included, I think two important pressures emerge. The first is distinctiveness. Now, poor men, just like other classes of men, face important pressures to be distinctive from their female counterparts. Men need to act like men. An anti-femininity, if you will. And again, I have a little bit of work on that, um, you know, on the podcast or the blog, if you're interested in reading on that. So men kind of achieve this distinctiveness. They play sports and they drink beer and they wrestle with each other and they shun things like gardening and yoga and the like. Now, this isn't exclusive to lower class men. Middle and upper class men do something similar. The second pressure that poor men face that's a bit more unique to them as lower income men is how best to satisfy gender roles. And by gender roles, I mean norms for what is expected of you based strictly on your gender. We've had such norms for thousands of years, but it's complicated. It's complicated because gender norms for men include expectations to have status and access to economic resources. Now, as you would imagine, higher income men satisfy this expectation easily enough. They attend universities, they secure good jobs, they earn competitive salaries and effortlessly provide for their families. Lower income men, on the other hand, wrestle substantially with these expectations. Indeed, this has been well documented, both in the field of psychology and sociology. Working class men are more likely to endorse traditional forms of masculinity, wherein they feel the need to prove they're a man based on what they do. But there's a challenge, right? Working class men aren't afforded the luxury of demonstrating their masculinity in the form of status and economic provision. Instead, they have a smaller range of behaviors by which they have to show their masculinity. In fact, more recent research in psychology shows that lower class men can feel pressure to compensate for their lack of status or economic vitality by overindulging in other forms of masculinity, things like aggression, things like substance use, so that's like drinking and smoking, sexual prowess, so that's multiple sexual partners, unprotected sex, you know, just being a gratifying partner or having a large penis or whatever. Um, and certainly they can do any combination of any of these things, right? So in some ways, it functions like a Napoleon complex. Lower income men can perceive a deficiency in their masculinity and seek to overcompensate for it. Man. Don't you just love when science makes sense? Importantly, none, and this is this, I want to make sure I drive this home. Importantly, none of this is deterministic, right? Being lower income or being black doesn't mean you'll succumb to any of these pressures. But there is a lot of research on some of the negative consequences of working class masculinity, particularly among black men and certainly Hispanic or Latino men too, 
if you're interested. Um, and I think the reason why there's been a lot of research interest in this topic is because it can be a vicious and toxic cycle. Now, much of this work is predicated on something known as precarious manhood or precarious masculinity. It's a curious concept, but in essence, the manner in which masculinity is culturally constructed, at least Western masculinity, means that men have to prove their manhood and they can lose their status as a man at any point in time. Now, importantly, femininity in general doesn't seem to operate that way. And that idea presumably accounts for many of the differences in behavior that we periodically observe between men and women. And as it pertains to working class men, one potential result of precarious manhood is overindulging and masculine behaviors to make up for coming up a bit short in the bank account. But income isn't necessarily the only thing that can emasculate working class black men. Some new and interesting work in psychology shows that racism leads to push-ups. Um, the notion of being judged, excluded, harassed, and or discriminated against is emasculating for many black men and what this research study basically showed was the response of black men who feel that way in these situations is by feeling the need to exert other forms of masculinity. And so the way that was kind of studied in the you know research investigation was with push-ups. Push Literally, black men who were exposed to racism ended up doing more push-ups as a result of that. Feeling more discriminated against can make uh, black men feel the need to reassert their, excuse me, reas reassert their masculinity improve their manhood in other ways. Again, we can see class and gender and discrimination kind of interacting in unusual ways here. But maybe this is a perfect place to interject with my point because I haven't done that really. I've just been kind of rambling. But, you know, I think black folks in America have faced many challenges. Day after day, we continue to wrestle to be respected and treated with dignity um, so I can really wrestle with the idea of homophobia within the black community. And I'm particularly talking about towards men, just because, again, I wanted to create a little bit of scope for this. It's almost like a struggle within a struggle, right? It just strikes me as really curious, um, problematic, and somewhat uh, hypocritical. I think Black America prides itself on wanting to call out privilege and oppression in America. We take to the streets to protest injustice. We urge people to acknowledge our humanity. We plead with people not to reject us strictly on the basis of who we are. We remind America that literally at every single point of its history, We've been on the social fringes. We underscore how for decades we were seen as amusement and entertainment for white people, if for no other reason than the fact we were black. So how then do you turn around and exclude an entire group of people? What, because of who they love or, or who they're attracted to or because of who they want to marry? Let's talk this through because I'm 
having a little bit of difficulty following the logic. You don't want to be at the bottom of society. But you don't have any problem putting another group there. Am I getting that right? You don't want people to use the N-word, but you don't have any problem using homophobic slurs among your friends for your own amusement. Is that is that correct? I mean, it was wrong for white people to use their fear of uh, their fear and, and, and prejudice and hate to try and keep black people out of their neighborhoods and out of their schools. But now you don't want any gay people in your neighborhood or school. Am I understanding that correctly? It was it was wrong for white people to disown family members because they fell in love with someone black. But you don't have any issue disowning or saying you'll disown someone in your family who falls in love with a member of the same sexes. Is that the situation? You know, I'll be honest, I think I think it's sad. I think it's sad because many black Americans have become the very thing they say they hate. And the worst part is they can't even see it. I mean I think they enact and appeal to the same systems of oppression and prejudice and discrimination that they say cripple the progress of black people in this country. Sure, they can masquerade it under the guise of religious beliefs, even though we clearly see Jesus interacting and actively seeking out people that society has rejected, like lepers and prostitutes, etc. Or they can masquerade it under the guise of hyper-masculinity. Again, that's a whole different conversation. But ultimately, I think it's homophobia, plain and simple. Now, I'll talk about how, you know, some black men can perpetrate this, and then I'll get to women too. Um, just to kind of show uh, both sides of the coin. Honestly, I think a lot of black men perpetrate this in the form of complicity. Maybe you didn't make that homophobic joke, but you laughed at it. You didn't make the joke, but you didn't say it was wrong. Again, I think for working class men, I think this can come really naturally. Even as black people transcend various levels of socioeconomic status, I think that cultural conception of masculinity can be so deeply rooted, maybe maybe it's difficult to get away from it. You know, it's the way our parents think, it's reflected in conversations with siblings and or friends. Even as your understanding of masculinity begins to change, it's still difficult to unpack all of the negative elements that have been internalized, both past and present. It's easy to have a good laugh with the guys at the expense of further stigmatizing an entire social group of people. As funny as I'm sure you think it is, I'm sure white people found blackface really funny in the late 1800s and early 1900s too. Some of them still think it's funny. You know, I think benign intentions have very little to do with whether or not jokes or comments are appropriate. And for a lot of black men, we have little reservations about doing this because it's both common and accepted. But it has to stop, right? Now, a word for the black woman. Say what you will. But these ideas came from somewhere, right? So let me paint this picture another way. <clears throat> now, I'm going to say something, and I know it may not be a popular idea or comment to make in 2021, but I'll say it and I'll defend why I think it's a reasonable point. 
There are many, many things I think women feel the need to do because they think it makes men more interested in them. Now, the opposite, again, both sides of the coin, the opposite is true as well. There are many, many things that black men feel the need to do because they think it'll make women more interested in them. Now, again, there's tons of research by mating psychologists that largely underscore this point. Mating motives influence human behavior. We do things, both men and women, for the sake of appealing to uh, whoever it is that we're trying to attract, whether it be men attracting men, men attracting women, women attracting women, women, women attracting men, so on and so forth. Mating motives influence human behavior. Now, I know that can seem a little thirsty to say, but whatever. There's a lot of evidence. We do things for the sake of better appealing to potential mates. Here's the kicker. I think most black women will acknowledge that these beliefs men have about what women are interested in or attracted to are highly exaggerated. But that's actually part of my point. These beliefs black men have about what women are attracted to aren't entirely wrong. The beliefs are just exaggerated, right? And there's a difference. Even as a guy, I've personally been in situations where black women deride black men for being sensitive or soft or not meeting their definition of masculinity, whatever the heck that means. And that's usually because the man in question is perceived as feminine. I mean, I've said this repeatedly, but I'll say it again here just to drive my point home. Even as a heterosexual male, by Western standards, I'm not a particularly masculine guy. And that's something I already know and I am completely okay with. Masculinity is not the opposite of femininity. That's a whole different conversation. I got into that a little bit with um, you know, my episode on is God masculine? Um, but again, I think in Western settings, in Western nations, the US included, we tend to see masculinity as the opposite of femininity, and that's there isn't there isn't strong reason to believe it has to be that way, particularly because there are other parts of the world where masculinity and femininity are not perceived as opposites of one another. You know, I think a lot of black women um, have to be honest about contributing to a broader pattern of homophobia within the black community. Just like black men might believe black women want someone who's financially stable, I think that's probably true. And black men might believe black women want someone with sexual prowess. Now, again, maybe that one varies a little bit from woman to woman. I also believe black men, or at least some of them, might believe that black women want this macho man. And you've contributed to that idea every time you didn't create an environment where black men are allowed to demonstrate, quote, feminine, quote, qualities, care or concern or support, sympathy, emotions, empathy, whatever. Like you, 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 you contribute to this, you know, broader pattern of homophobia when you don't create an environment where men are allowed to engage in these things without being emasculated. And I think that's a really big deal. You know, I've spent um, quite a bit of my time 
um, in a city in the U.S. where there are allegedly a lot of black men on the down low. And I won't even say it's alleged. I do believe it's an actual thing. Um, but in essence, I won't get into details about down low and where that came from. That in and of itself is probably even an interesting episode. Um, but there are a lot of black men on the down low. In essence, what that means is they're gay, but they're passing for straight. Now, it, of course, creates a lot of drama because sometimes women end up dating or marrying a black man only to find out that their boyfriend or husband has secretly been gay all along. Now, what I think gets left out of that conversation a lot is, as much as we might hate to admit it, there are some elements of that, like, down low phenomenon that are somewhat distinctive to black culture. Now, I do want to be clear. I think there are, you know, people of all types of different racial or ethnic groups that um, haven't come out of the closet. They haven't been open about their sexual orientation. So I think the idea of passing for straight isn't exclusive to, you know, black people or black culture. But there are elements of this that are a little bit more distinctive. Right. And I think these men, these black men are doing that presumably because they anticipate such an intense ridicule, scrutiny and rejection. I think mostly from their black friends, their black family, their black loved ones, etc. These and this is the part that's more distinctive to black culture. Again, I don't think it's out of the ordinary to be in the closet. But for these black men, they would literally pretend to be straight, marry a woman, have kids with said woman. Rather than potentially facing the backlash of telling their friends and family and the loved ones I've actually become that thing that we used to crack all those jokes about, right? Um, and to me, again, this is, I think, the part that gets left out. Like, where did that come from? Like, wh like that in and of itself is a huge red flag. And I think, again, this is just my opinion. I think as a black woman, I think you're kidding yourself if you think on some level that felt pressure only comes from men. I think you're kidding yourself if you say that. I think black women play an important role in perpetuating and reinforcing homophobia. Now, I think none of us were born being able to see all these connections. I don't think none of us were born attuned to the plight of every single group in society. I think all of this is a learning process. Again, for myself included, it's a learning process for me as well. But I think we we listen and we learn. And as we learn, we seek and strive to try and do better, right? And I think as a community, um, I think we need to do way better in this area. Um, I think we really, really do. You know, I'm not here to drag anybody. I'm not here to beat people up. I'm not here to make people feel like that's not my intention in any way, shape, or form. Should also mention this is not a hot take. Again, this has nothing to do with Dave Chappelle and the closer, this, that, and the other. I think anybody who kind of 
is familiar with the subject matter that I that I do here and even just aspects of my life. Um, my style of writing doesn't really lend itself well to hot takes. Usually the stuff that I write about, I've been thinking about for weeks or months. And a lot of times I've been writing about it for weeks or months and I edit and I tweak and I, you know, I modify and I change the metaphors and I read and I write and then I read and then I write and I edit. And it's, it's a very iterative process. I, I can't just see something trending on social media and decide I'm going to write about it tomorrow or next week. That's not really how I engage with my artistry. So this isn't about Dave Chappelle and the closer. Like I've been thinking about this topic for a long time. Um, again, I'm not here to cancel anybody. That's not really my intention. Um, it's my interest for everyone to be treated with dignity and respect. That's the bare minimum. And I think everyone deserves that um so that's what i got man i know i didn't really talk that much about what this looks like for women and i think part of that was just kind of based on one my experience as a man and some of the research that i'm more familiar with like a lot of these topics just kind of all connected thinking about masculinity and precarious manhood and racism leading to push-ups and you know um you know, Napoleon complex and all of these other kind of things. It just kind of lends itself a little bit better to discussing men, but I'm not naive to the fact that there are obviously really important implications for women as well. I want to treat people with love, dignity, and respect. And um, I think that's really important. Um, so that's what I got for today, man. Um, just some random thoughts. Feel free to reach out, um, you know, with what you're thinking.